Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, Moto America fans, and welcome to this latest edition of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. We have a video edition. We're at uh, Pittsburgh International Race Complex, also known as Pit Race. And I am joined by our communications manager from Moto America, Mr. Paul Carruthers. Hello, Paul. Hello, Sean. And we have a rare treat here. We've got Michael Hill with us, who Michael wears a lot of different hats, but Michael with us is kind of known as Mike on the Mic. Um, when he first, I think, came into our paddock, we did a podcast with him at uh, Road America. And we've, we've done a few podcasts in between them, but it's high time we got him back on here. And we're going to talk to Michael, not only about our, our series, but try to find out what's going on in World Superbike and MotoGP. So welcome, Michael. Glad to have you back here in oh, the wait, States. Wait, before you guys start, yeah. I, it was funny because when I was walking over here, I told somebody we were doing a podcast and they said, with who? And I said, with Michael Hill. And they said, is Sean going to be in it too? And I said, yes. And they said, well, why are you even bothering? Because you're not going to get to talk. <laughs> so this is my this is my talk. So I'm done. <laughs> oh, you want to ask the first question? No, then? you go. <laughs> I'll ask the last one. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Michael, you we kind of we kind of get you in our paddock when you're not doing other things, but you're quite often doing other things. So, but you have managed to be in our paddock a, a bunch this year. And um, it's always great to have you with us this year. This will be your last round for this year. Um, you, I think I heard you saying earlier, you've never had the uh, pleasure of being here for the final round of our season, so you've never got to see how that turns out. But this weekend, there's going to be some probably a couple championships that are going to be uh, figured out, right? Yeah. Firstly, thanks for having me back on. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, before we started recording, I was saying to Paul as well, the last time I think was in a in a hotel bedroom somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. I seem to remember. It was. So yeah, you guys have gone all proper high tech now. So <laughs> looks, uh, you've, yeah. you've stepped it up. So uh, <laughs> uh, it's great to be back on. And uh, yeah, I just want to obviously publicly say big thanks to Wayne and to Chuck for for keeping me involved in, in Moto America. It's great to be part of the series. And obviously each year it's growing and it's attracting some big names and obviously there's a lot of following now of Moto America back in Europe. So uh, I just definitely want to say that. And then, um, yeah, obviously this weekend we have the chance to see a couple of championships wrapped up. I think realistically the only one that potentially is going to be wrapped up is, is Supersport. Uh, that looks the most likely, but there is a chance obviously for Avery in, in the Junior Cup as well to, to, to wrap it up. But no, it's been, a, it's been a good season. Never been to the last round because of the calendar clashes. So maybe next year if, uh, if Moto America and World Superbike speak together, they might be able to to fix it for me to get to the last one, but uh, in yeah. The, in the time you've worked with us, I know I remember we would have you would be doing the paddock shows at Laguna Seca. Have you been with us in the time that we did do World Superbike at Laguna Seca with us? Has or is that all? Was that all before you started technically working with us? Yeah, no, we did it one year. So okay. um, the I think it was 2019 was the last time that World Superbike was in uh, in Laguna. Okay. Um, and I wasn't able to double duty because of okay. my commitments with World Superbike. That's right. So yeah, yeah, I've never been able to combine the two in the same weekend, but I have been there when Moto America's been there. But I think, Paul, we involved- We did it. We involved you guys in yeah, terms yeah. of you guys coming onto the show right. and kind we of did, fitting to our yeah, schedule. Yeah, we did autograph signings and yeah. you interviewed the guys. And then I think- one year we even did like the the press conferences there instead yeah. of in the media center yeah and you know involved the the spectators yeah and we stuff, tried so. to do it so it's it's always difficult when we had the two combined because right. obviously different you know different timings and things like that and obviously we have our schedule with what we're doing but i think we did make it work it was good and i think the the Mud america superbike riders that were there enjoyed it and then obviously now what i do here as you said with the mic on the mic that's gone from something that started out as a bit of a joke 
just strapping yeah. a strapping a camera onto my chest and walking around the paddock for 10 minutes and now we do sort of an hour every day and the, the fans seem to like it and, and obviously the riders enjoy it and i think it just gives a different unique sort of view into what's happening away from the track you know it's right. not necessarily focused and tailored around racing my idea when we started expanding it was to kind of show some of the characters and the stories that we have in the paddock that you can't see because of time reasons on a normal television show so that's kind of my idea behind it and it's kind of grown and yeah we've got some some fun things in the works for next year as well and Good. we've tried a couple of little parties at um we did it at Brainerd once we did it here last year and also at Laguna um, not to try and copy what we do with the paddock show in World Superbike, but to try and put a, a Moto America spin on it. Um, and that's been quite well received. So I think, yeah, watch this space. I think there'll be a lot more fun interaction for next year. And um, yeah, looking forward to being part of the championship again in, in 24. Is the mic on the mic part more difficult than that sitting in the booth talking about the racing or the sessions or whatever that's going on at the time? It must be, right? Because you're yeah, I mean, on the fly more. It's f Yeah, it's, it's funny. A lot of people do say like you, you, it's scripted or you've got someone asking the questions and genuinely it's not the case. It's, I, I try to do the mic on the mic like I do the paddock show in terms of there is no TV direction other than saying you've got five minutes to go you know, or throw to a break or something like that. But it is genuinely unscripted. Um, Again, today is Thursday. We're obviously recording the podcast on a Thursday. I spent two or three hours just kind of walking around the paddock, seeing where the different teams are laid out. Um, but I genuinely don't have an idea. I have an idea roughly where I want to start. So maybe there'll be a story on track tomorrow. And I'll think, okay, that's where I want to start, Mike on the mic. Or, um, for example, at Laguna, when we had um, Kenny and, and uh, obviously Carlos Checa, I was like, okay, I'd like to start it with some of the big names and then we'll go off and wander around. So apart from the starting point, that's generally it. Um, it is a little bit more difficult because you never know what can happen, you know, and it's live. So I think Brainerd a couple of years ago, we had that crazy guy that dressed up as a cow. <laughs> and, then right. it's, and then the guy opens his mouth and I'm like, oh, damn, there's kids watching. And the TV director's <laughs> like, leave the cow alone. Move away from the cow. And I'm like, try not to laugh. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, you know, but. Well, you don't know what you're going to get. You never right? know what you're going to get. But I think that's the beauty of it, yeah. you know, and the fact that it is quite fluid and you know, we, we walk and talk. And, you know, I think the most riders we've ever spoken to was, I think, 42 or 43 riders in a, in a one hour segment, wow. which, you know, it, it doesn't happen in any of the championships. So I'm quite proud of the fact that, you know, we've been able to grow it and it's, it is, it's fun. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. It's just different. It's just different to being in the booth. Um, and it's a different style as well. Like the way you talk in the booth on a camera is different to the way you do mic on the mic. And it's very different to the way that I would talk on, on the paddock show doing a commentary because what we do in world Superbike is I commentate live, but I'm not in a booth. So again, I'm exposed and I'm on a stage and it's, I'm interacting with a live crowd. And then if you do the prize giving again, you're talking in a different way. So yeah, I kind of, as you said, wear many different hats and yeah. have to kind of adjust on the fly, but that's, that's the job. And yeah, I love it. It's good. Well, I'm going to have you wear, well, not wear, but put on a, a different hat, be, uh, the hat of a rider, because I'm going to ask you a question. So we've got a new, a new change in this track this year, and it's a different uh, reconfiguration of this chicane. Now, from what I could see on social media, there was an event here last weekend, and I think you took part in it. So you tell us about that and tell us about your firsthand knowledge of going through that chicane. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time in 15 years that I've rode a bike on a track. Wow. Um, so when I, I did a bit of racing back in the day and then kind of realized it's, it's less expensive and you actually get paid for talking about it rather than <laughs> actually paying to ride and potentially getting injured. And the last time I actually rode, I actually broke three vertebrae. So, um, you know. I was Yikes. a little bit, I kind of always wanted to ride again. I've done like little riding on Ovales and mini bikes and, and you know, and done some stuff with Trevor Standish and the Pure Attitude team and Liam McDonald and stuff. And that was good fun. But 
I never really just had the opportunity to ride on a track. And then obviously I've been doing a little bit of work with um, the endurance championship here as well. And there was a race last weekend and they said, look, we'll, we'll build you a bike. And it was, it was actually Blake Davis's team N2 that said, um, yeah, we'll bring out the old bike of Jack Roach and it's an R3 and you fancy having a wobble around. And I jokingly said yes at Barber um, and thought it was a joke. Didn't think anything about it until Emerson and Shiloh sent me pictures of the bike with like the number 19 and the little caricature that we have on Mike on the mic. And I'm like, Oh, so it's it's actually happening then. So I was like, <laughs> okay. So yeah, no, it was fun. I only did about thirty laps, um, but yeah, got got my knee down. Um, wasn't the last. I would have been about midfield in the club race. So I was kind of like, I was happy with that. And did you already have leathers and a helmet and boots and everything? No, I had nothing. So okay. um, so basically, I was quite fortunate that obviously. I guess kind of been well known when people realized it was happening. Um, the guy, Robin Tash from Bison oh, made, yeah. made me a custom set of leathers and they wow. changed the mic on the mic to mic on the bike. Oh yeah. So they, they, they kind of went with it, which was cool. And, you know, KYT gave me a helmet and nice. um, uh, yeah, Gurney boots in Italy, give me some boots. So I was like, that's, that's pretty cool. That's and, very cool. And Dunlop as well. I should say Dunlop um, was super cool. They, they didn't like charge me for the tires. They give me the tires and asked me just to. Well, they were probably still able to use them after you were done. Yeah, <laughs> probably. That wasn't going fast enough. <laughs> but, got to be just you know, right. They're yeah, perfect. Yeah. They're perfect. They've just been one heat cycle. You're good Daytona now. Yeah, that's it. You're good to go. But no, it, it was super fun. And I was actually really surprised because I always do the track walks or try and take a scooter around the track at each round just to try and understand the track, just to try and, you know, when I'm talking in the commentary to understand if there's a blind crest or if there's a curb or whatever. But I didn't realize just how undulating Pittsburgh is. You know, and it was quite interesting. Again, not ridden for a long time, but, you know, you had to turn in really early to turn one, but every other corner was a late apex and there's some blind corners and some fast corners. And then, as you said, this new chicane that we've got, and as I said, not ridden the old chicane, but I do remember the big sort of plastic curbs. Sure. And now it's it's changed. They, they reckon it was adding about three to three and a half seconds per lap to the lap times. And it was single file. I mean, I was coming back into second gear, sometimes third, but it was a bit tight on the R3 and I spoke to Josh Hayes and he said, no, we're coming back into like first, maybe even second gear. It's, it's really slow. So yeah, it'll be interesting this weekend. Um, certainly on a bigger bike, you come through that left-hander and you're already fully lent over. So I assume anyone that's going to make a pass, you're kind of going to have to commit before you're even upright fully on the brake. So from a safety point of view, I understand why they did it. I'm not really sure what else they could have done. They certainly couldn't have expanded the track left because you're into the trees. Right. So I think they've done the best with what they can. Um, yeah, I mean, whether it produces overtakes, I guess we're going to find out. But Yeah, I mean, the clear reason for it is because there's a fence and then a cliff on the other side of it. Right. So you're trying to get them slowed down. Otherwise, if you go off at a high rate of speed, there's going to be something bad that's going to happen. So, so that part when you go in, is it harder to set up going into that chicane or to actually set up to go out of the chicane? Coming out of it, I mean, I, as Paul's joking, I wasn't really going fast enough, right. but I mean, coming out, you, there was plenty of room, you know, um, going in, there was once or twice when I, I did clip the curb on the inside, but just cause I carried more speed going in. But, um, I think the, the guys from Moto America timing were here. They said that maybe only seven teams actually blew the chicane. So people were treating it and knowing they had to go through it. Um, again, I don't know what kind of penalty we're going to get this weekend. Right. If, if you blow the chicane, um, whether you have to just lose time in a sector or whether it'll be a time penalty, I'm not sure, but and Moto America is the national championship, isn't it? So these guys know what they're doing. So right. I'm sure it'll be be fine. I, I, I just I'm interested just to see how close to the old lap record we will get. You know, and obviously I know we talk a lot about lap records, and yes. I like statistics. Yeah, but you do. I guess we're not gonna. I think if we, if we see an outright circuit record, I'd be surprised. 
It would be shocking. Yeah, I, mean, I don't have think to be, we're going to yeah, see it. It blowing it away by a few seconds <laughs> yeah. of the old ones. So, yeah. so yeah, we're going to have to kind of have an asterisk or something in there and realize, you know, it changed quite a bit for this round. You know, yeah. this round this year. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about World Superbike. Yeah. Just in general, what's the state of World Superbike right now? Is it growing? Is it? How's it doing? I mean, again, I'm probably going to get attacked on social media by people saying that you're biased because you work for the series and you have done for the last decade. But I think World Superbike is in a really great place. And I think, and I'm going to be, again, probably unpopular by a lot of people, but I think that a little bit of credit needs to go to Alvaro. Um, he's riding the wheels off the bike. And sure, he's lighter. And I don't want to get drawn into that conversation, but you've still got to twist the wrist, you know? And if you watch, as I do on a Friday when you get to a World Superbike race, Alvaro is doing full race runs in FP1 on the same tire, and he's working methodically through a system that's working for him. And you don't see anybody else doing that. You don't see race runs from Toprak on a Friday morning in FP1. You don't see it from Bassani or Rinaldi or, or Jonathan. You might see runs of six or seven laps, but you're not seeing full race runs. And then Alvaro goes out in FP2 and does a race run on a completely different tire. And then, you know, Imola is a prime example. It was super, super hot. He was eighth or ninth on the Friday everyone's talking, oh, it's because they've given the revs to the other bikes. This is why. Now we're going to see the real thing. Comes to the race, and I think 14 of the 17 or 18 laps were within 0.2 of a second. And, you know, you guys have been around a long time, Paul, as well. You know, like to be that consistent lap after lap mm. after lap takes right. <clears throat> takes some time. Are we being treated to the, the spectacle of five, six bikes fat, um, battling at the front? No. But does that detract from the sport? For me, it doesn't, because I think if you look a little bit further back, there's also other stories throughout the field. Could things be done differently to balance the rules? Sure, but that's above my pay grade. I'm not mm -hmm. a technical guy, you know? But I think that what, Moto, um, sorry, what World Superbike has is they have a definitive set of rules. And after every third round, they can look at the revs, they can look at the concession parts, and teams can choose what parts they want. And I think what a lot of people watching on TV or at the side of the track, they're not aware that it's policed that way to try and make it fair, you know? Um, and I think it's they're doing the job within the rules. They're not bending the rules and saying, let's change it at round four or let's change it at round seven. That's the rules. Everybody knows the rules and you can use the concession parts, you know? So for example, Jonathan and the Kawasaki, they were given revs as concession parts. Okay, let's use our tokens. Let's take the revs. But they have elected not to use the revs. But there's no public statement to say that they're not using the revs. It's available to them, but they didn't use the revs when mm -hmm. we went to- uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they I didn't, didn't use the revs. So the bike's exactly the same. Why? I don't know fully why, but I assume it's to do with if they change the revs, it will have a knock-on effect to some other part of the motorcycle because oh. obviously everything is built and homologated. Right. So, so again, and I'm not saying that if you suddenly give the revs, we're going to get closer racing, but what I'm saying is that the rules are there and the teams can choose what they want, whether it be suspension parts or electronical parts or- whatever um and they didn't use them so and again I'm, I'm not a technical guy i'm not saying that they should have used them or they shouldn't but they didn't take advantage of the parts that they elected to use now whether that's in preparation for next year one would assume that it is um but yeah i mean i think from a taking away the technical side and the spectacle on the track i think world super sport 300 and super sport provides close racing Arguably, yeah, you've got one or two guys winning races but if you look at other domestic championships look at moto america we have two, three, or four guys that you would arguably say you turn up at a race and one of those four guys should be in the mix to fight for the podium and ultimately win the race. Right. But that doesn't detract from the fact that the series is going down or it's losing popularity or it's not entertaining. 
because I would argue that Moto America is the same, that it is right. entertaining. We have still got great races. Same in BSB. You know, we haven't suddenly got 10 guys winning races. You've still only got four, five, six guys winning races. Just that the racing seems a little bit closer based on their technical rules. Right. Um, in terms of fans at the track, I would say that Superbike is probably more popular now than it was before the pandemic. You know, we had 50, 60,000 people at Donington Park again, where before the pandemic, uh, pandemic we had 25, 26,000. So that's cool. From my job in the paddock and interacting with the fans and seeing the footfall that walk through the paddock on a, on a weekly basis, the paddock is full. Emily, you couldn't move in mm. the paddock. Um, whether that translates to people at the track viewing figures on TV, I don't know. But from my perspective, I think it's in a good place. Yeah. Good. Well, I got a big question for Michael. Can I just throw it out there now? <laughs> Go for okay. it. Okay. Michael, so I, I've recently become kind of pretty nationalistic about our country and our riders. Um, when Cameron came back into our series, I felt pretty good, especially the fact that he's doing as well as he is. Mm -hmm. Then I got to thinking, hell, let's bring him back all uh, back over here. Joe Roberts, let's get SDK back over here. Garrett Gerloff, you know, get him back in here. It's going to help us. Do you, so do you think that if Cameron Bobier had gone, had gone to World Superbike instead of Moto2, it might have been a different situation for him? Oof, well, yeah, it's big. It's a big question. I know. And I think, well, firstly, I want to say that I think Cameron did a great job when he went to Moto2. Right. I think the fact that he's come back and readjusted to life on a superbike and instantly winning races just reminds everybody that you don't lose your speed and your talent. So right. I definitely want to say that. Cameron, when he did come to World Superbike, because he did do a couple of wild cards and replaced a couple of riders, yes. was running in the top six at Donington. Would it have been easier transitioning to a superbike? I would probably say yes. And he would probably agree because he'd spent most of his life on production-based motorcycles. You know, it was always going to be a tall order, not just with Cam, but you take anybody from a national series. Look at Jake Dixon, prime example from a British standpoint. You take him from the BSB championship, put him into Moto2, and he wasn't at the front immediately. Because the bikes are different, the tires are different. Life in a Grand Prix or World Championship paddock is very different, you know? Um, so I guess, yeah, the answer I would say is, yeah, it would have been an easier transition. Would he have been fighting for wins and for podiums based on how I've seen him ride in Moto America when he's been on a superbike and knowing his talent? I would say yes. Whether he could have been a world champion, we'll never know now. Right. Um, but I think he would have he would have adapted quicker, but the longevity and whether he would have still come back after a couple of years is all speculation. You know, I don't know. Okay, part B of that. Could or would either of them, but let's just say Jake Gagne, go into World Superbike again? I think, again, on the Jake side, I think it was a, a, a difficult time for Jake when he went into Superbike. Obviously, he was replacing Nicky, um, um, which is always going to have a different kind of pressure to it anyway. The Honda at the time that he went there wasn't the bike even that it is now. So he was never expected to win race. Even though as a racer, you would have wanted to win races. The chances of him going into that team when Nicky was struggling to be on the podium, right. no disrespect to Garrett, uh, right. to, um, Jake. to Jake, but right. you know, I think he would have always been struggling. I think what he did on the bike was, was competent. You know, um, Him again, by his own admission, would say it's not what he expected. It's a very different life in terms of, the way that you travel around and the, the way the series runs and, and all that kind of stuff. 
he came back last year and did a wild card at um, in Portugal in Portimao. Right, scored some points. But I think a lot of people underestimate just how fast World Superbike is. Right, you know, it's the same when you look at. I talk to a lot of kids that do the the Junior Cup in BSB or the equivalent of Junior Cup, and then you look at the lap record of when they go there with the World Super Sport 300 to Donington, and they were seven seconds off the pace. And these kids who are winning everything are like, well, how the hell is that possible? The riding style is so different um, in, in Europe. They're using curbs. You couldn't ride like that at some of the circuits here. It's like riding at Cadwell Park in BSB. You can't ride over the curbs and, and touching the grass because you're going to be in the trees or the Anko barrier. You go to somewhere like Mugello or, or to, to Jerez, they're all using the curbs. They're all using the track. So I think, I think Jake did a good job with the Honda. Um, he obviously came back here. We know how fast he is. I think going over to do a wild card is different again because again the way that they ride. Um, I yeah, think I think those are hard. It's hard to go there as a yeah, one-off I mean, ride. Hard. I mean, it's like we were talking to JD earlier, and <clears throat> it's hard, you know, for him to come back in the middle of a season. The right. guys have already been doing their stuff for yeah. half a year, and they're used to racing with each other, right? Like you right. know, Toprak going wheel to wheel with Alvaro, like at the last round in Most. <laughs> the trust that they have with each other. But they're banging bars week in, week out, right. and they have done for three years. Jake turns up, and he's used to banging bars in a different way. you know. So I think if Jake went, and I think there are riders here in the US that could make the transition to the World Championship, but they've got to, they've got to be with a team that's going to give them the opportunity to go there and do the preseason testing, to get used to the tires, to, to adapt to life. You can't just go there and be like one season, and oh, you didn't cut the mustard, see you later. You know, I mean, we see that now even in MotoGP. Look at Remy Gardner wins the Moto2 World Championship, gets eight races in with KTM. Oh, you aren't doing what we expect, right? That's it. We're getting rid of you next year. Yeah. I don't, that for me is wrong. Right. Um, I'm not running a team, but what are we trying to do here? You know, it's not like Remy Gardner's 35, 36 and his career is over. He's a mid-20s guy that's just won a World Championship. And then he's told after not even half a season, oh, there's no space for you. Let's bring the next young kid in. Right. You know, and I think the mental side of the sport as well, you know, it's, it's a mental game this you've got to be mentally strong and when you're suddenly being told you're not good enough anymore who's quantifying who's good and at what time you know it's funny i was talking to to liam mcdonald at dinner last night and we were talking about um fabio quattararo and the difficulties that honda and yamaha have had yeah in, in motor gp but if you'd have looked at quattararo when he was in motor 2 you would never you would never in a million years have said that two years later he would have been a moto gp world champion yeah. and now look at him you know because he just needed time and needed that environment around him that just allows him to grow. You right. know? Um, it's the same like also with, uh, you, you mentioned American riders, obviously Joe Roberts, SDK, Sean Dylan Kelly. You know, he's been injured. I don't know the guys that well in, in the, uh, the American racing team, but I really hope for Sean that it's not going to be one season, pack your bags and leave because right. I really hope that he is given an opportunity to have another crack at it because... You know, I saw Sean at, at Silverstone and he's chipper and he's enjoying life, but he needs time to learn how to race at that level and to ride with these guys. Yeah. You know, so I really hope that, you know, he is given an opportunity, whether it's with that team or, or but, you know, to, to go there just for half a season, get injured and then for the dream to be over, it's like, man, that's hard. Yeah. Right? That's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's felt hard enough with Cameron's situation, even though he did great work when he was there, but um, he's doing great work now with us. Okay. I, Garrett Gerloff, where's Garrett Gerloff at now? Com let's think about last year compared to this year. He's on his way to Pittsburgh. Well, he's coming here. He, we're going to get to see him. He yeah, touch he's coming this weekend. Yeah, right? he Sunday. is coming. Yeah. So, but um, I don't know. It feels like, are we happy that he's the fastest BMW rider? I mean, where did, 
I'm talking as Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's a little different for you. He's got another year on his contract, I think, with them. Right. I think he does. So Yeah, he'll be staying with the, well, at the moment, they say he'll stay with the BMW family. Okay. Um, but obviously, there are only two teams. One's the factory, or classed as the factory team. Right. And then obviously, that's where Toprak's going to go next year. Um, and then there's still a big question mark. Does Scott Redding stay? Do they keep Vandermark? Do they keep Baz? What are they going to do? There's too many for how many? Yeah, there's not enough seats. Yeah. Right. And, they have, and they have contracts with them too. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, for, for sure. Um, Garrett has a has a contract, and it's been announced that he'll stay in World Superbike. Um, I think by BMW's own admission, they released a, a statement on on WorldSBK dot com, basically where they did an interview with with Mark Bongers, who said, "Look, it's been difficult for us. We expected more from 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 the riders and from the bike. And you know, I guess Honda would be the same if you spoke to Leon Camier. They would expect more than just one podium, but." Everybody's always raising the bar, right? It's the world championship. They're pushing and pushing and pushing. And, you know, if you look at the lap times from last year compared to, to now, every, everybody's made a step. It's just that BMW and, and Honda just haven't quite been able to make that step consistently every weekend. So mm-hmm. I think Garrett being top BMW kind of reminds everybody again that, you know, he is fast. He, just, he deserves a place in World Superbike, in my opinion. Um, certainly from my interactions with him off the track. And obviously, I'm more on the fan side of things you know, than a technical side. He does everything that he's he's asked to do and he does it with a smile on his face. And I think he genuinely involved in um sort of genuinely enjoys that side of the the, the event. I think previously when he was with Yamaha, he, he made some mistakes which kind of came back and, and bit him. And I think it was a bit hard for him to to get over some of that mentally. Um like I said, it's a mental sport, you know? So if you're being told on one hand don't crash and then the next race, okay, you didn't crash, but you only finished ninth, you're not going fast enough. Well what do you want me to do? Like, you know, so I think that that is going to, going to be difficult, but I think, yeah, he's, he's, he's shown that he's still fast, whether BMW can make a step. They're promising a lot for next year, obviously with top rack coming. I mean, that signature from, I mean, from top rack going there. I mean, I, I knew he was it's talking incredible. to manufacturers, but that's not the manufacturer where no. I thought he was going to go. Right. I actually thought he was maybe going to go to Ducati alongside Alvaro. That's where I thought it, maybe he would end up. Right. So when that press release came out and we got the news, obviously before it came out and I was like, Really? Is this like, are you just saying this in case we slip up on the stage and just put it out there to try and get some, some spin? And, but when it was announced and I, I've spoken to Toprak in the paddock and he genuinely believes that he can fight for wins. Wow. And he genuinely believes that he can go there and, and do a good job. And a couple of people are saying, well, it's not going to happen. But they said that when he went to Yamaha and he won in the first weekend with right. Yamaha at Phillip Island. So, yeah. you know, if he does go and win, does that mean that everybody else on the BMW is no good. I don't think that's the case because you've got to compare apples with apples, right? you know? Um, but I think to come back to your point with Garrett, I think from an American standpoint, sure, you you want to see Garrett on the podium. I'm sure he wants to see himself on the podium, but he has been on the podium. So right. it's not like he can't do it. Right. You know, he has proven that he, he deserves to be there. Yeah. Um, number one. I want to ask you from, you. this is a good point. You mentioned a little bit from the fan's point of view. So this is a question about Garrett and kind of project this to is what's it like for him in the paddock as an American? Do fans embrace American writers? Do they embrace Garrett? Does he have fans who are not Americans who are over there that kind of follow him? What's it like for him? Yeah, there are American fans that go. I've okay. been in the paddock when we've been in Mizano and there's an American flag and there's people that I recognize from Moto America um, and they'll come and talk to me and then I'll see them talking <clears throat> to Garrett. So there are American fans in the paddock in Europe. Um, That's cool. For sure. I saw them at Donington as well. 
I think Garrett, his personality, and this is going to come out wrong. I don't mean it to come out the way that it's going to come on, but he doesn't come across like a, I don't want to say typical American, but the perception in Europe of American riders is that they have a bit of a chip on the shoulder. Sure, yeah. And we talked about that a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I think that is not the case with Garrett. I've never had that impression with with Garrett or with Jake or with with Cambodia. You know, there's there's riders that you can kind of see that they they are quite European esque in the way that they they approach things. Um, so I think Garrett's quite fortunate like that. He's always appeared quite humble. Doesn't seem to be arrogant, you know. Um, and I think there's a fine line. And you know what I'm saying? I'm probably not digging myself a grave here. I'm probably going to get assassinated. But I don't mean that all Americans are walking around thinking that they're the best thing since sliced bread, but it's, it's, a, it's, it. a, it's a perception. There's a swagger. Yeah, it's a perception, you know? Um, and I think that, you know, certainly those three riders that I've mentioned, but Garrett in particular, he's very down to earth. He's very humble. He always has time for everybody. You see him walking through the paddock and he'll be like, oh, hey, Mike, how are you? You know, and he's, he's chill. And he's like that with everybody. Yeah. So it's not an act. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I and you. I think the fans, the fans do like him. And, you know, there's a time limit when we have the, the various events going on. And generally I'll see Garrett um, Sykes when he was racing, um, also, uh, um, uh, I can't think of his name, uh, Locatelli, um, they'll often be the last to leave. Right. You know, um, it's like, right guys, you can go now, you know, and they'll still be stood there signing autographs and things like that. So, but again, I I get, that's not everybody's, that's not everybody's bag, is it? You know, not not everybody is the, is the showman. Right. Um, Well, speaking of liking the fans, we're going to get to see you liking the fans as Mike on the mic this weekend. And uh, we only scratched the surface, but we're going to have to wrap it up, Michael. So thanks so much for being on. We're going to look for you this weekend and at, at the rest of the over in Europe, the rest of the, the year and get to see more of you the next year. So thanks for being on with us. Appreciate it. No, I appreciate that. And uh, Paul, thanks for the great questions. <laughs> <No problem>. Anytime. <laughs>